Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the New York Sessions. I'm Andy Uri, and alongside me is Pippa Sturt. Hello, Pippa. Hi, Andy. Very good. Today, we are joined by Brian McNeil and Lindsay Stewart from Stringer. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, great to be here. Okay. So, um, tell us, you've got to start in the beginning. What, what is Stringer? Someone, someone explain this unusual word. All right, let's start at the very beginning. This is what Stringer is. Uh, Stringer is uh, two things. You want to think of us in two buckets. We're a videographer network, and we allow our customers to come in, drop a pin on a map, and ask for video that they want, either live or taped, um, from a variety of Stringers, about 120,000 of them. And then the other bucket is a software solution. And since Brian built the software solution, why don't you describe the software solution? Since, Since video is a large part of what we do, uh, we built an end-to-end video production solution. So if you think of that, I want to make a video uh, because I'm a marketer or I'm a news agency, doesn't matter. You start with your source video. That's where the videographer yeah. network comes in. You might have your own video assets or image assets. You can upload your own. All of those are held in an asset management system so you can easily search for them. You can then edit that video. You can then share that to social. You can host it. You can transcribe it. Uh, You can get review or feedback on it, all of that within a single platform. So it used to be you're using three, four, five tools in order to accomplish each of those tasks. Instead, it's one cloud-based system that you can do all of it. Oh, I see. Normally, you need a video editor. You need somewhere to host it. You've got it. You're going to store your videos in Dropbox. You need Adobe Premiere to edit. You need to host it on Vimeo or YouTube. You need to get feedback via Frame.io. All of that's now just in one system. And that's a byproduct of the fact that you've got, what, 120,000 Mad people out there taking video, and they needed a you needed a, a, to help them edit those videos, or it's more that the you know it's not so much from the videographer, the contributor standpoint. Although you know, at some point we should probably sell it to them too. It's really from our customer standpoint where they have all these different tasks that yeah. they have to accomplish to create a piece of media, and that's true for our first customer set, which is broadcast news folks. But it's also true for anyone trying to create a media asset. It's not a one step process. It's not about recording the video that you're looking to get. It's also about editing. It's also about captioning. It's also about sharing on social. Maybe you're putting it into a show. Maybe you're doing a conference where you need to interview people. So we're allowing our customers who are increasingly pretty much any enterprise to come in and get all of those things done in one place as opposed to have to toggle between you know five to ten different subscriptions mm-hmm. and different platforms. And then, of course, Video is a very media, or excuse me, data-rich file. And so every time you're bringing it from one system to a next, you are taking a lot of time. So it's both inefficient in terms of time and money. And then if your core competency isn't video in the first place, you're a marketing professional and your boss comes in and says, create a video on our product now. Create 100 videos on you know, mm-hmm. our 100 products. Well, what do you do? You need a solution that's all in one place. I always say it's like, I don't try to remodel my own bathroom. I ask a contractor to do it because he brings in all the tools that I need. Well, that's very similar. We bring in all the tools that you need into one place so you can just basically get media done. Okay. And I mean, video editing seems to be the new job. Do you know what I mean? It's like everybody needs video and everyone's constantly having to edit it. And we're all looking for some young kid to do it almost (laughs) because it's it's quite tedious. I mean... Well, and that's... 
you know, core to the problem, which is like you hire nice little Billy who just came out of school. And of course he understands video because he's a video Mm. native. I mean, my six-year-old is a video native. But what if, you know, that person you hire leaves? And so then the institutional knowledge of your media assets are held with this one person who might graduate up into the next best job or go do something else. And then you're kind of stuck. What our system also does is allows you to manage all those assets Mm. and have that institutional knowledge all kind of baked into a platform so that you go from, you know, the one hire to the next and you can easily transition them from one place to the next. Um, but yeah. It sounds I'm, like an absolute no-brainer. I think so. I mean, obviously, it's a no-brainer. We built it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the tricky thing, and this happens to a lot of technology businesses, is you end up with a service and a product. And that and that and that's a common, because you have a product now and a service, and that's a sort of common uh, push and a pull because they're, they're very different businesses, basically. You know, do you see the brand brand splitting at all or well, we, we have split the brand at this point. And, you know, there's always a question of kind of whether to have this kind of bigger brand, which is Stringer, the original company. But right now we have Stringer for news and we have Iconic for enterprise. Okay. And really all that is, it's the exact same functionality on the Stringer side and on the Iconic side. But the UI, the feel that you have on the platform is more attuned to the various customers. Obviously, marketing professionals, corporate communications teams don't have necessarily the sense of immediacy that news folks have. And so we've stripped away certain parts of the news flow for the enterprise folks so that it's a more comfortable place to be. It's, I mean, the original business idea, I think, is, is, is genius in the fact that, yeah, things happen everywhere and they used to what, send a van out with, with, with you know, some people oh, my, in it. I mean, I used to live with a, a woman that worked for a kind of one of these companies that creates the video for, for news outlets. And, you know, I remember this a long time ago, but when Diana died, having to get up in the middle of the night because she had to go into work. And she woke the whole flat up, getting up to run into work to suddenly process... You were like, this better be good. Yeah, this better be good. And it turned out to be Diana was dead. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we always got the news first, which was quite good. What do you what do you require? People just need an iPhone. Is that like the minimum? People need an iPhone, but I think there's a, kind of a special group of people that we recruit. We don't think that everyone's going to provide valuable video mm. within our network, and that it's a core differentiator and really one of the, I guess, as they say here, a moat that keeps people out from copying us. It's, yeah, we've never thought like my mom would make and sorry, mom, but would make a great videographer on our platform. We don't market to her, and now we. Use Use a proprietary data set to create basically lookalike profiles, and as we yeah, you taught me about that, Brian. Actually, the lookalike concept that you if you well, you need a thousand people who are good at what you need them to be good at, and then somehow the computer works out. Yeah, that. It's, it's one of the great powers of social media and why Facebook and some of the other platforms were so effective for marketers, which is you could upload a customer list, or in our case, a provider list, and they will look at what is common amongst that and then target folks who are very similar, have similar interests, and, and based on things you would never detect on your own. Um, and so that is what we use. Once we had a critical mass of sales, a critical mass of videographers, we were able to recruit far more using that method which was very okay. effective. Okay, very cool. So in the path of the business, so how, when did when did we start Stringer? When, I love, I'm involved now. Yeah, yeah. You are. I was there. One million years ago. No, um, about eight years ago now. Yep. And I mean, the rule of thumb is, in my reality existence, is 10 years to get, you know, you you get, you, you, you in three Things years, faster now, in you? three years, you do what you thought you would do in 10 years. Do you know what I mean? Like you establish it. Sorry, you do in a year, you know, three mm-hmm. years is like, oh, are we actually getting somewhere? Does it feel like that sort of? 
Yeah, I mean, we have a very cool product. We don't have every media company working with us it's in the a, it's U.S. It's a good list, though. Isn't yeah, it, it is a good list, and but we're you know every year we're bringing on more and more of them, and there's not like a million media companies anywhere, right? And so we are very, I guess. We are plotting through all of them, bringing them on, and, and what's even better is we're keeping them right. And so the folks that I've they been don't with regard, us, they don't they don't have an issue with their competitors there, do they? Because they're all they're all trying to get unique content, or they get to live in their own world. They have their okay. own account. They get to ask for their own video. Now, eventually, their video does go into our archive, and we have 1.2 million assets in our archive that everybody oh, of can you use. Keep some some rights over, and them. we can thank our customers for making a lot yeah. most of those requests and getting that video in. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, it's. It, it, to kind of your earlier point, it, everything takes a little longer than you want. It's a little more crooked path than you you would you would like, and of course there are certain what you know another American word unicorns that all the venture capitalists are looking for that you know have explosive success in in three three years or two years or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason they're called unicorns, and then there's everybody else that's building really cool businesses and you know doing the hard work. So they're yeah. just very impressive thoroughbred horses, but they don't have. <laughs> You know, There's no the horn. The pointy There's thing. no exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the thoroughbred. Yeah. That should be the... I'm not a yeah. unicorn. We're a thoroughbred. Exactly. We'll, 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 <laughs> I am using that. We'll, yeah, we're going to use that. Yeah. We'll, we'll win the Grand National. I am a well, big we actually white exist, stallion. By the way. For all the listeners that has already been TM'd. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you feel um, New York is a, is a place to build a startup? Is it is, you know, you'd recommend it to someone and you'd say, fuck, stay in Seattle, mate, you know? <laughs> I mean, it all depends what kind of startup you have, right? And I think that a lot of people now build things from anywhere and everywhere. I mean, of course, if you're in the early days and you're not making very much money, New York is a terrible place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the reason behind why we came here, and we did start Stringer in Silicon Valley in San Francisco, was that the the knowledge of, of kind of media generally is more robust here. So it, This is it, the home of media. Like this is the home of media, exactly. especially kind of in our initial market, which was news, but also in the next market, which is, you know, advertising, corporate communications, a lot of decision makers are here. Um, so so that makes sense for us, but I certainly don't think anybody needs to live in New York. Do you too. miss California? Of course. It's the best place on earth. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it is the best place on earth. Particularly it's, San Francisco. Wrong, some areas, it sounds like. Yeah, but we have other states in the country that have gone yeah. even more wrong. So yeah. have at that. If at you're that. looking for wrong, San yeah, Francisco is yeah. probably the best. But I like, I actually, I'm, a, I'm from Silicon Valley, but I prefer Los Angeles, which I would be burned I'm alive like for saying yeah. that. So, you, yeah. grew, you grew up in uh, Silicon Valley, did yeah, you? Yeah, I grew up in a town called Los Altos, which is right by the famed Palo Alto and Stanford mm-hmm. and whatnot. My dad's a Stanford grad kind of guy. And also oh, really? a startup guy, so yeah, I, I grew up with startups. So do you get to watch the news now? And you're like, ha, that's one of our, you wouldn't know if it's one of your videos, would you? Uh, well, we could always go look at our platform, but not necessarily because mm-hmm. our customers basically source the video and white label it to, and then that's how the system was built. We're not trying to take credit on screen for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, we we get a lot of video very, very quickly. Do you want to talk about where, where you're going now on raising money and things or not? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of great paths forward for Stringer. You've got this news business that is doing quite well, steadily growing. So that needs continued funds to continue to grow and push into new markets like Western Europe and the UK. And then you have this other business, which is the iconic platform, which is this great video production SaaS-based platform. 
That requires marketing money to formally launch. So we're raising money. A to lot, do that. a lot. I ideally, yes, ideally a lot. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so those are the paths. Now there are of course ways you can hack it. There are ways you can growth hack. There are ways you can be very efficient in that. Um, but ideally, yes, exactly. It'd be a large marketing push. Because you're, mm. you're fortunately when you're coming out with a platform like that, you're competing against a lot of sort of stalwarts and it's habits. Yep. You know, I find it hilarious on my computer. You know, I mean, I think we all do this, but you know, for what I don't know, thirty years I've been using them, and you know, and, and someone sees you do something and they say, oh, you know, you could do it this other way. It might be much more efficient, but it's, it's really hard to change your behavior. You're like, yes. yeah, but I like going to that folder. And then I used to that work in management consulting, here. and uh, you know, you think of that in terms of strategy. But I'd say a quarter of our time was spent on strategy, and probably sixty percent of our time was spent on change management. Yeah. Was on getting down and getting getting people at the individual level to change the behavior. Mm. Platforms like ours are no different, right? You have. You're used to doing things a certain way, and even if something is better, it takes a certain push or a nudge to get you to do something new. But I think it's right place, right time for a tool like ours. Because, yes, broadcasters have been dealing with video time and eternity, right? When your friend or when I was Mm. a producer Mm. and doing the same thing and, you know, waking up people in the middle of the night that didn't want to be woken up, you know— We've been doing that. We have our workflows. And we've been able to break into the workflows of the most entrenched people, which are broadcasters. Now, everybody needs a video. Your firm needs a video. Mm. Everybody needs a damn video. And so, and some people need like a thousand damn videos. And so that's what everyone's encountering now. And so the, so we're right place, right time. People haven't established their workflow yet. Yet they're, they're trying to figure it out. And right now they're cobbling together a bunch of solutions that don't make a lot of sense for them, and they don't even know how to use all of these tools. So I think that pouring some gasoline, pouring some real money on a marketing message on a tool that has been vetted and is stable, we're not like going out into the market and saying, hey, investors, we're really hoping to build, or we think there might be product market fit. You know, a lot of investors sit there with their little tick boxes, and they're like, how are we batting down risk? Do we think this team actually can build? How big is the moat? Yeah, like, how big is the (laughs) moat? And, you know, can the team build something. We've done that. Did the team build something? And how yes. big is the opportunity? Exactly. And in your case, it's freaking massive. It's a massive opportunity that's not, it's, it's also growing. When you go and you are looking at anything, whether it's a service or a product, if you don't see a video associated with it, you're like, what's wrong with this company? A short video that's well put together. Exactly. Yeah. But that's that's where we are right now in the kind of the life cycle of this. It used to be you could like write something pithy and describe your product. That's just not the case anymore. People want to see things. And nobody's going to spend time reading it either. No. It's going to move on to the I mean, next soon we may have a bunch of illiterate people because nobody reads anymore. That's uh, it's possible, really, isn't it? I mean, well, that, that's the question that people say. Oh, well, aren't you worried everyone's just going to know how to type and people can't write? And that came up when we were trying to hire some new IT people a while back. So we, were, you know, you're looking at 18 year old people to do IT, and they had to fill in a form in reception. And I saw these forms, and it was like crayon, like fist drawing, you know, sort of shit. <laughs> you found, you found an 18 year old who knows how to use a computer. I find 18 year olds don't know how to use computers. Oh, really? I think there's a great generational gap in Gen Z where they are completely, almost practically speaking. Computer literate because really? they use mobile phones. They're so used to mobile phones. We still want the smart ones to eventually work for us. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <isn't, laughs> if you know how to use a computer, is please that, please that, I mean, um, your you 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 your parents. It's um, I find it very strange the way we're all sort of saying, oh, we don't want our kids to use you know iPads, and you know we want them to sort of be in the real world. We want them to have an upbringing like ours from the 1970s. We say that while holding our iPad in our hand. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. You know, I remember my wife saying to me, well, why are they so interested? It's like because you're looking at it the entire time. She's like, you you are. Well, and it's like, yeah, but there's there's then that gap that you're talking about that, and when I'm dealing with businesses, 
they're like, oh, yeah, I want these kids who are just like native, you know, they know really well how to use it. I really work, I can't quite work out at what point we're supposed to stick a computer in front of them. I mean, your point is they, they I mean, they're just on their phone. They're on the phone or or they are browser, everything is browser based, right? Which of course for a platform like ours, that's browser based, that's great news. So if we try and go back to the start, and this is a separate question for each of you, what was your first proper job? And let's, let's start ladies first, Lindsay. What was your first? Out of college or like in I life? Guess, yeah, proper like job. first paid job. I mean, yeah. Well, my first paid job was I worked, I had a friend whose parents were starting an insurance software solution and mm. she, it sounds, you know, thrilling really. And uh, their daughter did not want the job and they were paying $25 an hour back wow. then. Wow. Back then, more than 20 years ago. Yes, folks, that's hard to believe. Wow. Um, and and so all I did was sit and read my um, my like summer reading and they also had the internet. Wow. But the internet was very slow and was really only had stuff that- really not much on it. This was 1996, so oh. I was six, oh, I was wow. 16. And so it was very, very slow. And I remember like learning about astronomy. There wasn't a lot on the internet. No, there, was no, <laughs> there was no Wikipedia. You could do chat rooms. Chat rooms has sort of been launched. Yeah, I because before that, that I had yeah, I had a I had AIM, right? Was it AIM the first? That was about then, yeah. It, and AOL, I prodigy AOL's before. Hang on, prodigy, so you were you were like I won't, you know, you won't say your age as a lady. I am forty two. You're a young, young lady, you're only twenty five dollars an hour, and then the next 10, 15 years, it's just downhill or something. Totally, totally. No, it's it's been a terrible life since then. No, it was a great job, but, you know. I Did your friend get jealous of you when you were sort of buying uh, lunch? And, you know, uh, no, absolutely not. She didn't She didn't care. And I was smart enough. To, I kept that money for so long until I went to Europe and I studied abroad and I was 22. And that's where I blew it all. So I blame where it on you, you guys. Where did you study in Europe? In Avignon. It's funny how there's a real romanticism for the uh, Americans, somewhat about the British, but very much about France. Like you Avignon guys just has or used to have this great little light tourist train that goes all the way around the, the middle of the city and you could just sit on it and go around the city. I must have missed that. That's great. But I missed a lot. Yeah. yeah it, too busy just, I don't know, uh, on drink, the internet apparently. I mean, drinking a lot of like, I think eight eight pound or eight dollar <laughs> yeah. rosé, you know. The oh, whole. did you go when you were like eight, so you left the hush? Oh, yeah. Like, and eight, you know, you here we, we don't get to in. officially drink till we're 21. Yeah. So do, there's do. this like gap where American kids, I mean, that's mm-hmm. college. You basically drink your way through. And what, uh, what about you, Brian? What was your first My first proper job, right after my 16th birthday, Day, went to work for a BMW car dealership. Wow. And my job was to wash cars when they came in for servicing and drive people home whose cars were in for servicing. Oh, that's quite wow. fun. Which was fun because you got to basically drive around a bunch of BMWs that, you know, at otherwise. 16. At 16, yeah. Now, I want you to keep the liability here. Uh, there, was, there was a van that I put a dent in once, but that was just a van not for a BMW. purposes. No, thankfully not a BMW. <laughs> but I want to think about the liability here. Fine, the cars are in a shop. They had us driving passengers home. One yeah. passenger I drove home I, weeks after getting my driver's license wow. was a future NFL uh, Hall of Famer, Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl Hall of Famer. Where? I'm like, what type of liability are Until you got his arm injuries. It yeah. must have been a labor market a lot like this one. Yeah, or just... No, you know what that is? That is, it suggests a lot about some sort of corporate insurance policy where they didn't look too much at the detail because there's a 16-year-old individual who said, I want to drive random BMWs with people in the yeah, back. Yeah, like this sounds They'd fun. They'd be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember what my insurance was, 17s when you can drive in England. And I mean, I remember the first insurance. Was back then was two grand a year. So, yeah, we're going to have to do, uh, in, in, what do you think your biggest, um, let's, we'll have to do this individually too. I think your biggest fuck up then was, Lindsay. 
in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, your career. Uh, you started well. Oh, gosh. And we're what the list. have you learned from it? Well, so, I mean, I could talk about one in college. So um, when I got into Berkeley, which, you know, is a pretty darn yeah. good that's, school. That's like one of the best, isn't it? It's hard uh, to, to, to English listeners. Well, it's Harvard, Stanford, and Berkeley. Berkeley's American uni. Yes, exactly. Uh, it's a, pub- it a public yeah. university. So what's great about it is you don't have to be a fabulously wealthy person yeah. to go. Um, but I was fairly confident student, and I took some very hard classes at one at 8 a.m., a, a calculus class. Wow. And, um, calculus. Yeah, and I actually like math a lot, but I was also acquainting myself with the social scene of, uh, of, of college. Rock and roll living. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So the 8 a.m. class wasn't uh, jiving that well with that. Well, uh, I had been almost, not quite, not quite in high school, a straight A student. My first grade's back, A, B, C, and a D in oh. calculus that I had already taken. I looked at my laptop and I was like, I just dropped it because I was like, wow, I could spell a word with my grade. So that's yeah. that's 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 one of the, that's one of the bigger ones, which oh, did okay. did come back around to bite me many moons later when um, I was looking at jobs at Google, and Google at the time did not hire people with um, any bad grades ever mm-hmm. in their history. Wow. And I remember saying to them, "Hey, there's this D," and they're like, "No problem, it's going to be great." And I went through their whole recruitment process, and they're like. You're great. And I'm like, great. And then a week went by and they're like, yeah, that D. That's so American. <laughs> yeah. So to be so positive about it. Oh, it's not a problem but at all. one grade in one course in one year. I think they've since disbanded with this policy, yeah. but they used to Oh, it was to only ha- in your first year anyway. N- no, yeah, it was my first year. But yeah, Google has stopped we, that we policy. Just, Ch- Ch- I, th- I think more it's a cultural challenge that 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 I have messed up early and, and continue to try to overcome. So as mentioned earlier, I grew up in Seattle. Seattle is a very merit-driven culture. Um, is it? It's a, very similar to Scandinavian culture. I think a little bit Canadian, Canadian, a little bit exactly. British, I find it very polite. Where you can literally work for a company and have your best friend, who's a smart, brilliant person, come to you and say, "Hey, can you introduce me?" And culturally, be like, "No, man." It's, it's like you got you got to go in on your own merits through the front door of like the music industry and and get your way in. Vicious. And so and and so coming from that mindset, and of course you get in the real professional world, and it's more about who you know than is frankly your your execution against it. And it was a very hard transition for me to kind of so get over that. People are very protective of their relationships, effectively. Yes, exactly. Is that I've, I've worked a lot with Scandinavian countries. It could be like that. They certainly always know each other. Mm-hmm. So you maybe have to be more polite. But I mean, I I we. We were just discussing this the other day. I find it difficult sometimes, you know, especially people always want you to, you know, you happen to know, let's just make it up, Jay-Z a bit. You've met him a couple of times. And then some fucking person's always like, oh, I need you to give, can you talk to him about this thing? And it's like, I have, I have, I have to be so respectful of this relationship right. that, you know, I'm lucky enough that I've, I've had a few meetings with this person and I could probably ask him something, maybe occasionally. Yeah. But um, I think there's a, it, it depends who's asking for what, isn't right. there? You know, it but, but the generally accepted practice, most of us are not, it's not Jay-Z. Someone said, could you introduce me to that person? It's like, that's one of but our yeah, roles as a You know, also in the professional world, as professional suppliers of services, you don't want to rec- you don't want to recommend somebody just because they're your mate if yeah. you don't think they're very good and then you get that kind of like it's slightly awkward that yeah. do you know anybody that does X and you're like well I do but I'm not going to tell also, you also what the hell do we know I mean I had to drop it a long time ago like trying to work out whether someone's business was brilliant or not because you get it wrong half the time you oh, meet people I... who are just 
assholes and seem to have a terrible idea. And then two years later, they're like doing a hundred million and you're like, what the hell? I don't even get it. <laughs> well, that, I mean, they probably are doing that because they're assholes. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. But I think, I think actually I have a totally different bias. You don't want to recommend bad people. If you know that somebody is demonstrably bad, fine. But most of the time, like you said, you don't have like a way to truly assess. Yeah. So it's better just to connect people and let people use their own brains. Yeah. They also work, interesting, you yeah, can get good, good feedback. Point. Your friend you know better, say, I met that bloke, he's a fucking bit weird, you know? Yeah. And you're like, well, that's actually quite useful for me to know sort of thing, you know? But I mean, how many people have you actually worked with who you hired and thought were like the best people ever? And then you start to learn how weird they are. And you're like, if I knew that, but then on the other hand, you know, you, you can't, I just, I think filtering for, mm-hmm. I think being a connector and connecting people is a much better thing than always being such a gatekeeper. Because then if you're a gatekeeper, then other people aren't opening doors for you. And they're going, well, I remember the time that Lindsay did this horrible thing or it wasn't, didn't turn out exactly the way she said it would. And you don't want them thinking about it. People should just open doors for you. And other. it is a very easy way to score kind of brownie points. You know, like I've got somebody, I, last week, somebody I know is, doing a kind of accelerator for early, online accelerator for early stage businesses. Mm-hmm. And she needs some people, she needed like four or five people to test the the product. And she was like, I know you work with startups. Is there anybody you can recommend? So I just emailed out like 15 of, of my clients and said, do you want to do this? And like five of them got back to her immediately and said, oh, said, yes, remove please. Remove me from your mailing list. And she was like, this is amazing. Thank you so much. And you know, you've just got a massive tick for doing very, very, very A very little. important psychological concept though that, that I only learned recently is gra- how short-lived gratitude is. So You mean I need to follow up? No, no. The truth is, <laughs> is that you feel gratitude, but this is why sometimes you do something for someone and then five years later, they don't remember like you could introduce them and that could be their biggest deal they won't remember who introduced them but they they, they will have a very short-lived emotion of like oh it's really thank you you know and they'll buy you a drink or they'll write you an email that's fucking it they're done they've parked that it's gone from your perspective you're like you you we rely on when we've done we we feel we should get a bit more credit for it you know right. and you can cause breakups of friendships and stuff because you're kind of like I've done all these things for you and they're like I did everything myself mm-hmm. you know you introduced me to some bloke and it's like yeah and that was okay but I have to it. say the thing I am useless at is I've totally given up trying to work out whether my clients' businesses are going to be successful yeah, or not don't <laughs> because some things you look at and you go that is just well, insane here's, here's a little secret venture capitalists don't know either so they're, you're, yeah, you're yeah. no better spot there I think, think we once read that but, they, uh, they're they about the same as chance uh, about monkeys throwing darts at a board in terms of their ability to predict outcomes that, I, I, there must be a room with monkeys throwing darts at a board somewhere in the London the New York Stock Exchange yeah they're all, just, they're just all like, Sand Hill Row and Rapid Success just, just investing and there's some you know woman just yeah. you know person you know the um, uh, your brand but your point just to, for me to understand it is what the fact that it was very structured and you would do it differently yeah you, well, I think I think you, I, I would have been better at helping others along the way on that side okay. um, but also recognizing that that was a gap in the culture that I came from and as I moved to other cities I lived in Australia I lived in San Francisco I lived in Boston now New York wow. that there's very different cultural ways of behaving and, and handling those things yeah. and asking for an introduction is okay yeah. Um, yeah. whereas where I came from it was kind of something you, you didn't really do what do you think is most misunderstood about your business? I, th- I think for, for us, and we have always raised what I would call like incremental capital to get 
the company to the next stage. And one of the things that we've had a hard time, I guess, with investors and more traditional venture capitalists, mm-hmm. and probably why we take our swipes at them and you know call them monkeys and stuff like that, <laughs> is is that they don't have a vision for our industry generally. Um, so there's a kind of a, a SaaS tools mindset mm-hmm. where you know, are you the next Slack, which is you know started as a, me- I mean, it's a messaging app, or are you the it next? So are you the one like single function thing that will be explosive? And so the idea that initially that video would be a part of the future and that wasn't YouTube, that was the first thing that was very misunderstood about us. Um, Now, as we grow the business away, not away, but we continue to grow the news business, but there's this much larger business on the iconic side, on the enterprise side, that those two things are kind of one and the same and that we have actually taken honestly, the toughest customers and proven it to them, and that will translate well. I think that's the next message that we are uh, continually working on. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of people who think they really understand media generally. Everybody listens to a podcast. Everybody watches a video. It's kind of like everyone thinks they could start a restaurant. Yeah. And so, because y'all eat at a restaurant. And so you're like, I can make this duck au poivre beautifully. Obviously, I'm better than John George. Like, obviously. Yeah. And I'm going to go on Yelp, and because I have Yelp, I can complain. I mean, video and media is the same way. Everybody touches it every day, and so they think they get it. They're like, I got it. And so we walk into rooms, and they're like, yeah, that's easy. Yeah. Why haven't you grown fast? Mm. Obviously. And I'm like, yeah, I know you eat at restaurants. I know you touch media every day, but you really don't understand what the multi-steps that goes into creating compelling content and sourcing it and how expensive it can be. And so those are the the messages that we're constantly having to kind of- Do, do you think that they, these people who are investing should spend more time listening to thought leadership or understanding the oh, vision of where the industry- people are so podcast. desperate to be hot, like thought, thought yeah. leadership, oh, thought yeah. leaders themselves, right? Everyone's- yeah. everyone Everyone's a goddamn visionary th- these days. And, and and stop being such a visionary. Figure out what you're interested in, dig in, and figure out what the market is. But just because you have, like, th- the problem we have is people touch what we do every day in a very, very consumer way. Yeah. And they really don't know what goes into it. So I think that's one of the key things that we struggle with. Now, the struggles aren't as real as they used to be. When we first started, people didn't believe in the future of video. And that was eight years ago. Mm. Now people believe in the future mm. of video. It so, is hilarious, I mean, I think one of the core things is just like tough it out and survive long enough to be in the right place, right time. And some of our early investors who are, some of them are just great and, and been, you know, wonderful people. They're like, just stick around till it's the right time. The time will come. But, you know, there's a lot of short-term thinking amongst a lot of people, not just investors. So, you know, we have to battle that too. Well, you're you're both, uh, as they would say in America, C-level executives, are you? You're 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 C-suite. C-suite. <laughs> totally. You both got moats. Yeah, we have moats and uh, turrets. And... What, as bosses, what do you find is the most difficult thing you do in your job? Well, so we have our core job, which is you know make sure there's enough investment dollars, enough customers, enough revenue coming in. Well, at least that's my core job. And yep. then, yeah, of course, your core job is building a great product, which I think you do more masterfully. Um, And then there are, you know, it's hiring people and people have lots of different personalities and, you know, they're not computers. You don't get to program them. And, and, And I think the thing that I've had to learn is I have to like, touch people more than I thought I was going to have to. Careful, careful, yeah. careful how you phrase that. I mean, yeah. Everyone's so sensitive. Um, but and, and so you touch people, you're meaning 
emotionally well no physically I, I touching mean, kind their of shoulder more, like check in more than i check thought in, yeah check in. because you know you especially in a not huge company you want people to, to almost like be like mini entrepreneurs like go mm-hmm. out do their thing do marketing do sales do whatever just get, the get it done it. and then yeah. come back with awesome results and we'll all sit and cheer together or something like that <laughs> um but but then you're like oh you know these are actually people and they want feedback and they want to feel like you care which you do care but you're mm-hmm. caring about a lot of stuff yeah, yeah and so you have to take the moment to care uh what do you think the biggest problem facing your business is then I think raising awareness. Raising we have awareness. such Marketing a great product. Marketing. We have yeah. such a great product that can be used by so many organizations. We need to get the get the word out there. Get the word out. You can't put your little logo in the corner of all your videos or something, no. We could, but you know, marketing, you know, you has you have has to be in the right channel, right? Yeah. We have to spend the dollars where the eyeballs are. And so we have to have the right message and we have to be, you know, right place, right time, which are, you know, it's just marketing money and, and testing our marketing message even more. Um but it's yeah. it's sort of endless now though with digital marketing. It's like everyone's doing the same thing, like how much money you can spend. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It just feels like you can waste a lot. I mean, I think marketing has always been endless. You could always just like spray money and pray that yeah. something will happen, right? And you know, if I learned anything at, at Wharton, it was you know just shove money down the right channel and see if it works. And you, if it does, target, shove more money down that channel. When you're approaching America or you're approaching this company, would you target major international cities or you're targeting because you're trying to you're trying to market a platform for video editing? Yeah, those people could be anywhere. anywhere. It could be anywhere. It could Absolutely. be anywhere, mm-hmm. right? But of course, you're going to focus for someone market um, just because localization and language and, and tax treatment and things like that need to be all in place. But I think you, yeah, you're thinking yeah. about like the roles and and then you know what people are actually doing, who would buy the product, who's the user, who's the buyer, and and what's their key pain points. And what we took in the last six months is you know all the different features that Brian and and the engineering team built, and we figured out the ones that are natural entry points for people. And so then you go, okay, well this this particular feature is what makes people very excited and let's run with that message and yeah. and then once you get those you start growing on the other features right what are you most excited about getting this flying is it the platform is it or yeah yeah, yeah, I'm really excited right. about what is iconic. I think we can really blow it up. I think it's a really big business. We have been in a world where we've been told that's really cool what you built. It's super unique. And as we built it for broadcasters, that they were like, "Oh, good job, nice job, pat you on the head." But this is the big opportunity for us. We're at a really cool point, and anybody who kind of either on it from an investment perspective or from a company perspective and joins our team at this point is coming to us at a place where. We have the opportunity to make this a really huge company. And so the, the, yeah. the traditional product, therefore, is producing cash and you just bet it all back on black for the platform? Or do you think you sort of try and keep that as a safe safe nest egg? Or, I mean, you know, difficult difficult choices. It, difficult choices. I mean, I think you, 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 you're you not necessarily betting on black because it's recurring revenue. So the reality mm. is you can take a couple of years of net income and, and bet that on the marketing growth of Iconic. Should that not play out? It will, but should that not play out, you haven't you haven't crashed the other part of the business. It just, okay. Yeah, yeah. And true. also, betting on black would be entirely luck. And clearly, you that's think you've right. got a thank you. You know, you've got a product that's good. There's been nothing lucky about the growth of Stringer, and and I think you bring up a really good point. We have built it. I always say we've clipped our little bonsai tree for a really, really long time, 
and now it's it's ready to be replicated and and planted yes. everywhere. Yeah. And so that there's nothing lucky about this. There's a lot of kind of right place, right time with the one feature software solutions that are out there that are for a variety of different industries. That's not this kind of thing. I would venture to say that Brian has built one of the cooler software solutions out there. It's got a cool name. You didn't fuck around with the name, did you? Iconic. I mean, I you just went in big. You just like, you know. No, I like it. I like the name. It's And powerful. the minute you pick a name, you loathe it, I think. Yeah. Do you yeah. loathe it? I think it's a good name. I, then you see it. it then you see it, like the you word iconic on like janitor's uniforms. But there's something like correct. Like, great. I, it, it is I-C-O-N <laughs> dot I-Q. So ah, that plays a bunch good. of different things, right? You okay. get the IQ, IQ side, it's a nice short URL. Uh, and of course, it's not with the K at the end, which there are just so many things that are called I-C-O-N-I-K that you'd be hard to be found. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. A more philosophical question. Um, do you believe, you know, that we should pay, high, you know, there's a lot of problems with society. Uh, should we be paying higher tax, give more money to the government and they fix it? Or should we be doing more philanthropy? We do fuck all philanthropy in the UK, by the way. And we believe in charities and smaller organisations <laughs> and stuff. Do you, do you either of you have a view wow, on this? Wow, that was a pivot. Yeah. 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 Beautiful conversation. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that generally large organisations don't do a good job. Like, so it can be too big of a company and it can be too big of a government. And I think anything kind of outside of a hundred people, they start to get a little wonky as to like how things are operating and instigating change and actually mm-hmm. affecting change. So if you take any kind of government program that we have here in the US, I mean, there are some that work quite nicely. Like most fire departments work quite nicely. Um, but if you take our healthcare system or you take um, how we take care of young kids who don't have enough money and we feed them. Or the um, railroads. Or our complaint. public transportation. There's just so many things that are so wanting. And it's not because we aren't pouring billions and billions of dollars into things. You know, here in, in, in New York, just as a standalone, I think the Department of Homelessness or Homeless Services has like a $2 billion budget or something wow. like that. Wow. I don't think that we're serving them that well. Yeah. And so I kind of have that general feeling. And so people will say, I'm going to pick on government. And I think that's where Brian will head. But I, <laughs> um, yeah. but I don't want to pick on government. I want to pick on like organizational behavior. And I just don't believe that large organizations- Do you are, think the small, I mean, you think a lot of small charities and stuff, they, they, and, they and, better and get their trousers we could get, on. We could get into charities and those are just very bespoke organizations 
organizations. Some charities operate wonderfully and some are just trash, right? And, and here we have a much larger kind of nonprofit organization infrastructure and there's a lot of fraud, you know, at the worst case and then there's a lot of good outcomes on the other. Now, then you take something like healthcare in the U.S. and you... It doesn't it, work many places. It other is than terrible. Scandinavia so where they employers, don't have employers, we pay into a system for our, our employees with all the best interests in mind. We want mm. them to be healthy mm. and happy and have access to good health care. Then our employees pay even more into that same yeah. system for this insurance, right? Yeah. And then you go and you have what I would call normal procedures or normal issues. Normal issues like having a baby. I had the best mm. insurance possible when I, you know, I had our daughter and I paid five grand. Was it not? It wasn't covered by the insurance. I paid five thousand dollars. That's insane. And so, fine, I paid it, right? But you paid five thousand dollars for what? I don't to have, have the baby. To have a baby, I didn't have any complications. To whatever. stay in hospital for a certain length of time. I was and there for a day and a half. It. You know, like there was nothing about. And you had full insurance. And I had Let's... full insurance, best and in, full and best 5, 000, insurance, five thousand yeah. dollars out of pocket. So that's the kind of premium, is it? It's just yeah. Those are the copays. They all add up, yeah. and it's what it is. So for most people, that's insurmountable. That's a huge amount of money, and so. Healthcare in our country, and I've come completely about face, needs to be a single payer system, hands down. We just need to get it done, and I, you know, and we don't have the political will to do I mean, anything. We have, here. you know, we have well documented problems with the NHS, but it is fucking brilliant. Well, but you know. most of the time you can get care, yeah, and you're not paying, and for emergency medicine, and you're not it's being bankrupted best. to do so, yeah. And well, I don't think Americans you can get a mer- have to be emergency. Bankrupt. Unfortunately, and it's just it's falling apart. But it, it, you end up with the problem of the, 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 you know, what's the budget on our health? And we're all hypochondriacs too. And we all want everything. Do you right. know what I mean? And that's the the thing that the bit of education I feel that would really help the NHS, as my wife works in it, is that we just need to be a bit more like if you've had a cough for twenty four hours, don't go to fucking A and E. You know, like. But it's the a interesting cough. thing is when you talk about the NHS in the UK, a lot of people will say it's you know a disaster. Own and there's so many problems with it but often people premise that with but I went to hospital and it was amazing and my doctors were amazing and the, the whole yeah, thing was yeah. amazing but it's terrible and then you have general. a private network out you can go pay extra money can't you there you can yeah. but not yeah. for emergency 5,000 for a baby yeah like totally I mean actually it's about 10 grand but also you know you you don't because like with that you know there is quite a famous um private hospital where lots of celebs and stuff go to have their babies and the problem is that they don't have the ability to deal with they have it's fine if you have a completely standard birth but if something happens they don't have the ability to deal with those kind of emergencies of those those unusual circumstances i think there are some key things that government should handle and you know like big infrastructure projects and railways and blah, blah, blah. Then there's all this other junk we pay for that does absolutely nothing and, and, keeps, prefer, business, and keeps businesses from starting, to be you, quite fair. It sounds like you prefer mm-hmm. then medium-sized businesses to be doing, rather than charities almost. I really love public-private partnerships. There are really good examples of PPRs. that. Yeah, and so I just, I, I think there's, there's better ways, but... You know, I'm certainly not an expert on on governmental issues. Well, Brian, do you disagree with this point of view? <laughs> Please disagree. No, no, I I generally agree. Um, I think I like everything from perspective of incentives. And the problem is, if a government entity is responsible for doing something, the incentive of any employee to do a great job is so low. Mm. Like. Everybody wants to do nice. Everybody wants to do it well by a person, but everybody's going to act in their own self-interest. And if you work in a government job where you are not incentivized to do a great job in the end for the customer in the end, 
because you're going to get the same job with the same pension, regardless of whether you do a great job, you're going to half-ass it. And first year, you might kind of work hard just because you care, and then you realize you can half-ass it. And mm-hmm. I think with that structure, it just you end up with suboptimal outcomes Bre- breeds for all the people. In, um, inefficiency <laughs> right. and, and Whereas at a, at a profit-driving company, at least at the very top, there's somebody who has an incentive to wow those customers so they can make more money and those customers come back. Yeah. And then they can mm-hmm. force that through the entire organization and make otherwise people who might otherwise half-ass it work harder and incentivize them to do so so that there's better outcomes in the end. I mean, we barely have any philanthropy, and I wonder why. I mean, we do, but you get harassed on the street, you know, to, and you get sort of signed up. I saw people doing the street here. That's so not a culture people, of it. We, 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 we hate talking about money. You've got to remember the British people, it's so rude to talk people about money. People think nonprofits are a panacea, but they have the same incentive problem, that that the incentive is to raise more money from donors who are so disconnected from the actual outcomes that 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 there's that disconnect there. And the other thing is people are like, oh, they should turn to a nonprofit. The reality is most even successful companies operate at three to five percent operating margins. All you're talking about in the delta there is that three to five percent operating margin. Yeah. So it's not hard to imagine a scenario in which because they're not driving for a profit incentive, that they're operating three to five percent less efficiently. Yeah. And they're worse off than if it's a profit-driven company in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just another tiny question. How would you fix capitalism? Does it need fixing? Yeah. Do you think it needs fixing? Isn't there a Winston Churchill? Oh, no, maybe it's a democracy. Democracy is a Winston Churchill. But it works equally well for this. Well, yeah, right? You know, capitalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's not a perfect situation, but it's yeah. it's kind of one of the, the best outcomes that there is. And I think we've, you know, I I think we see socialism play out, right? And I think, and I, and I think, I think if you solve the issue of, Healthcare, you're getting yourself, you're solving some of the ills that people point at capitalism and go, well, capitalism's, you know, the reason I died or whatever, or mm-hmm. my grandmother died and we're left mm-hmm. with a million dollars of debt or something like that. And so I think capitalism is fine because, you know, at the end of the day, being able to walk out the door and know that you are kind of a person who can design their own destiny to a certain extent. And I know there's a lot of asterisks below that, but know that you can walk out and start a business and feed your family and put a roof over your head and not have too many impediments there. And, you know, we have tons of impe- you know impediments that are put yeah. in by the government. But, you know, I, I, I can't think of another another way. But I do think there has to be this protective layer of a, cer- That's the thing. Of a yeah. cer- of certain things. But not this huge, fluffy prote- protective layer. Mm. But, you know— I think if we fixed healthcare, that would be a really nice. Well, one yeah. of the and I think things. that's right. I think I yeah. think if you look at what is most often pointed as the failings of society, healthcare, education, housing, and the cost of housing, you're talking about the three most heavily regulated sectors there are. So it's interesting to say that oh, capitalism is failing. Look at these three places: healthcare costs are high, education is failing, housing costs are too high. But those are also three places where the government is most involved of any of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you look at a TV. Suddenly, you can get a phenomenal 50-inch TV for $300, it's and that's wrong. where the government is not involved at all. Yeah. Uh, and no the global supply chains go to work. But I don't know. I've, I mean, I don't know whether I'm assuming you have similar sort of problems. I don't understand in the UK how how it's going to work its way out in terms of, for example, housing. Yeah. Because you know, my parents bought a house when when they got married. 
you know, got a mortgage, blah, blah, blah. Nobody really does that anymore because hardly anybody can do that. Well, because nobody's well, building. Well, not just that. Well, there's just houses it's, it's, are so It's true. There is a lack of, you know, of supply. There's a lack of supply. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and the supply side is largely in part to blame. We can blame the government for that. They've made it so hard to build and so expensive. They made, And that's the same in America. Yes. yes. Yeah. And the great thing is in America, you can compare cities and states for that. Houston, which has a open build policy, has very low housing costs to this day, despite a very, very strong economy. Right. Because you can just okay. take a plot of land and build, and that's it. I mean, you don't. I mean, homelessness, I just always find abhorrent any, yeah, that we still haven't sorted it out. Issue. Because if I pull a bullet in someone's head, I get a home. You know, so like, where, where's the line? Do you know it's what not I mean? going to be a very nice one, though. Yeah, no, but no, it I depends. Mean, I get a TV. You know, I mean, I mean homelessness is an entirely different thing, and we've confounded what is a homeless person that is down and out, and what is a homeless person who's truly it's mentally just, insane or in on yeah, drugs. True. There are three categories of people we see on the street, and we've lumped them all into one mm-hmm. human, and they're not the same human. And then we try to solve the problem all in the same facilities in the same way, and yeah. expect like a great outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not the same person. A person who's lost their job or is so disabled that they cannot work is not a person who's a drug addict. That's not the same human. And, and to me, that's all part of the sort of the soundbite culture that we just sort of, we don't have enough time to sort of, you know, take these these subjects bit by bit. Yeah, people look at homeless in the street and say, oh, they're a drug addict. Or, you know, I think actually mostly they're regarded as drug addicts. I think that's like the common, and then there's like, you know, some Well, they mentally. also might be drug addicts, but you have to look at the root problem. I think if, I mean, hey, I think if we're going to fix society here at this table today, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think literally like put your damn phone down and get engaged in one thing that you do for free. You do for free, like help your school, help your community in some way, and then you become engaged and you start to understand what the actual problems are. Take a look at yourself. But you know, I sit on the PTA, and it's not like I exactly have a lot of time on my hands, but you start to understand and hear what the issues are, even the small issues, like why the front door of the school can't be locked, right? That's the parent-teacher association. Exactly. And you, you start to learn these things, and I think that there used to be a time when Americans and a lot of people invested more in their community, and they understood at least one system outside of their day-to-day. People have become very focused on themselves. Is, um, is New York the sort of place, I mean... The funny thing about Londoners, basically, is is unlike other other areas of the UK, you I would say generally you don't know your neighbours, well, you know very few of them. I mean, is bigger it, cities, it's true. Like that, you, yeah. you know, you just and I can remember having lived in London for years. I moved out for a job and I moved into a sort of small small town. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first day I moved in, I got a knock on the door and it was People like, are knocking on my door. we're your neighbours, really nice to meet you. I was like, what the fuck? What do you want? Yeah. Why yeah. Are you like, what do you want? Go away. Go away. Now. Make an appointment. But is, that, is, is there a community spirit in, in I think York? in New York, I've seen more community than I've seen anywhere else where I've lived. And I think it's just a much more communal place. So we're on top of each, I mean, yeah. we're literally living, living on, on top, top of, of each other. Um, and I've been very pleased with it, um, generally. You know, people huh. don't turn a blind eye. And I think that when, especially I saw this, like you saw it in COVID and if, oh, I didn't live here during 9-11. I was just in yeah, college. I but I, there is this kind of like, stiff upper lip, but also help your neighbor, which is not exactly what New Yorkers are known for. (laughs) But, you know, I I know a lot of the parents that try to contribute to school, the school, you're, you know, on the board of your Mm co-op, you know, people do- What's a co-op? 
It is a very New York unique ownership structure, Mm. whereby rather than owning a deed to your specific unit, you own a share of the whole building. Oh, wow. And then you We do that in the UK where you own a share of the freehold of a building. This is my fire extinguisher, basically. Yeah, it's sort of (laughs) avoiding those arguments. Do you think the US gives the monkeys a better trade deal with the UK? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, uh, I mean, do you, do, you, do you think the U.S. Um, still sees the U.K. as a sort of the entry point into Europe? Well, it depends, for business or for pleasure, right? I think that people, like, really love to go to France, you know? We yeah. talked about this earlier. Yeah. You guys are obsessed with it. Well, you know, they have great cheese, you know? They do have great Bring cheese. up your cheese game, yeah. and then you Excuse me, we yeah. have some Our very cheese good cheese. I've had your strong. cheese. It's not French cheese, I'm going to tell you that. Yeah. Wensleydale, you can't and, get better than Wensleydale. And then you, you don't, you don't, you don't kiss, you don't kiss us as much as the Italians do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. But then, of course, I think in terms of, like, as banking and business partners and people that we're most similar to, there's always going to be that, like, kinship. So, like, with business, I think I think so. But I think for... Uh, I, I think, I think uh, yeah, if we're talking about Brexit, I think it actually is a tremendous opportunity for the UK to to become an even more favorable place for to do business. Which is cocking it up at some incredible Royally. level. Best piece of advice you've ever been given? So I had a mentor of mine, his name is Dan Schnur, and he used to... Um, have a chair at USC in Southern, well, in Southern California and at Berkeley. And he said he was a, a communications professional. Uh, he ran McCain's communications the first time, the first go around. And the thing he always said is hang a lantern on it, which is means like hang a lantern on a problem as quickly as you possibly can, discuss it, get it out there, and boom. Okay. A, it gives, you an, oppor- it gives you an opportunity. Totally agree. It gives you an opportunity to solve the problem quickly. It also gets people to stop talking about the problem. So in, in a scandal, just hang a lantern on it, yeah. get it done. Net zero, I was saying net zero. How important is net zero? Yeah, what do you think about net zero? Carbon emissions, I'm assuming we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you All know, right. just like, you know, it's the big thing, sustainability. I mean, you're not exactly in the biggest producer of energy, but, you know. No, and I think... Uh, we are definitely beneficial in that front. Uh, cloud computing is generally more efficient than on-premise computing, which is what a lot of our customers currently do. So that that's certainly beneficial. Um, also, if you think of our videographer network, they are closer to the location that's being filmed. They're not driving filmed. around. So the, the, the drive is much shorter for them as well. So I think we're beneficial there. If we go philosophically, I mean, I think the CO2 is one of the biggest challenges of our, of our generation that must be solved. Um, and I think far more needs to be done there. Far more could be done uh, there, I think, if you properly priced carbon uh, and actually had people paying when they emit and let the efficient, let the those that can efficiently become more carbon neutral do so first, and let those who are harder get is there. there a, I mean, is there a problem? Is there a problem in the U.S. in particular because it feels like it from outside about the number of people who don't seem to think that actual global warming, for example, is a thing? Yeah. Do you know anyone who thinks it's bollocks? Not in our circle. Apart from you. No. Not, not, your last, not, 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 not Apart from your last president. Manhattan, of course. San Francisco circles. Yeah. My best friend. No, yeah. Just kidding. Um, no, no, no. I think there's I think there's a lot of 
denial of, mm-hmm. of, of clear facts and things that are happening, I think it's always worthwhile to ask yourself with anything, even if you know something is happening, what's causing it and how can we actually materially change it? Yeah. And if we want to get not philosophical, but more political, I don't see either side of our aisle doing very much to really have a material impact on it. And then there's, of course, other nations that have a material impact on it that have nothing to yeah. do with us and, and that we can't really... China? Yeah, we can't well, it's make in Russia and Canada's advantage, apparently, global warming. It's like two countries that will benefit from it, you know, the, because they will just get, get loads more, more land, more water, basically. You yeah. Know. No, I, 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 th- I think I always try and think about, like, what can we actually do, right? Well, that's what I find so yeah. difficult, though, as an individual. I don't know whether to recycle. We chatted to someone yesterday who told me that solar panels might be a bad idea. I almost banged my head against the wall. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know I what don't think do he now. said something were a bad idea. I think he said that some, some of the components can be... I, I think that is a red herring by those who are very much on the oil interest side that gets okay. thrown about. Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah, there are certain components that have to be mined, and then there's what do we can do about them. But that's such a mm. minuscule problem yeah. relative to burning coal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Was, I mean, the fact that we talk about coal is interesting. Yeah. Still, I'm like, what? Are, we have all these renewable resources. We've been, we should be, be consistently focused on the things that are renewable to us. And sunshine is renewable to us until we take the sunshine away. Yeah, right. Yeah. I also say, as an electric car owner, if you're buying anything but an electric car, you're a darn fool at this point. I, I agree. Like, yeah. it's just actually, such no, a there's, there's a very interesting article about how um, <laughs> if you're buying, you're actually going to get fucked because the problem is with it. Well, it's not the good thing about electric cars, you charge them at home, you charge them anywhere. The idea that you ever need to go to a petrol station, you need to go to an emergency place to charge, it will become incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. So, every electric car that gets added actually, you know, completely removes the need for any petrol station. So, if you do the mathematics, it's like you only need like 30% stock of electric cars and you'll have 50% less petrol stations because the maths just stops working. Just, do you understand? Because, it, because we never go there. You're always charging at home and yeah. stuff. My problem so. is I live on the second floor of a block of flats in the center of very central London. That does London. need to be solved. Yes. How, how I would charge an electric car if I had one I don't know okay so that brings us to our favourite part of the show well done you've done very well uh oh we, I'm, we, now afraid. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm now afraid the business versus bullshit quick far round Lindsay Brown are you ready for this okay D cue the music thank you very much this is where we're going to reel off some key terms and you need to tell us whether you think they are business or bullshit are you ready everyone right. clear either of you rules. or both of you can join for either um, of them don't get a buzzer uh, we should have buzzers. It's like American Idol. It's or, a great idea. What's the one where you I actually think it's American Idol? The one no, the X is. That's X Factor. X Factor. Yeah. Then yeah. Tom Jones. This is an area that I don't know anything Me neither. about. Yeah, okay. uh, diversity quotas. Diversity what? what? Diversity quotas. Oh, diversity quotas. quotas. Oh, okay. You kind of should have need to hard. There's people. a heavy side there. Not bullshit, but can be bullshit. We, I'm like a category called this shit. Yeah. Which is a little bit shit, a little bit business. I mean, obviously you need diverse people and diverse voice. Uh, ultimately, though, you want the smartest people in the room. And diversity comes from a pipeline, so those people actually need to apply, too. So that's kind of why it's it's hard. Stand-up meetings. I've never met anyone who's had one. If you had a stand-up meeting, the idea you have a meeting standing up and it's quicker. 
Um, I just walk by people's desks, so I'm often standing by. So the walk and They're sitting though, aren't they? Yeah. We, we, we do a stand-up meeting every day for the engineering team. You oh. do do it yeah, standing. We, we sit during it. It's called a stand-up meeting. No, because it's a stand-up meeting. You sit down. That's such a cop out. But we're all on Zoom, so I don't know how this is going to work anyway. Caffeine. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. How do you live without Business. it? Business. Business. Yeah. <laughs> uh, meeting agendas. Business. Yeah. 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 Business. I don't do them enough, but yes, business. Okay. Keeps people organized. There's a lot riding on this one. Yeah. Um, office dogs. Business. We have one. Yes. Beta. Yes. Beta is the name. Yes. The dog. That's so cool. Nice. What's that? He's a mutt. He's like a little kind of like dachshund, chihuahua. Austin Terry. Mongrel. He's a mongrel. He's a, is that politically correct now, mongrel? Yes, it's a mongrel. I think it's because you only if use it in reference to an animal. Dogs have feelings too, you know. I mean, it's <laughs> very upsetting. Carbon credits. Oh. Business. <laughs> Business, I think, but like we don't, We I think the Supreme Court decided we're not, we can't broker them anymore, right? Well, the president can't put them in place, oh. but yes. Yes. No, I think okay. it's, it's a great way to solve the problem. Yes, uh, swearing in meetings. Oh, business. Yeah. yeah. How do you get through a meeting without swearing? Okay, business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pub lunches. Would that, that would be the equivalent of you <laughs> bar guys. Lunch, bar lunch. Did you ever go to a dive bar for lunch? We went to an amazing uh, dive bar. Oh, this we one are so puritanical in the US. We don't do pub lunches. I can't. Pub lunches. I and I can't. And I just yeah, crawl under my desk. Yeah. yeah. It's very hard to work if you've had a, a, drink. a drink. Yeah. And like, why does anyone want one drink? You should want four. Yeah, well, that's ah, what I did. That's, a, that's an argument that I had not come across before. That's good. I kind of like either that. not drinking or yeah. drinking. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, B Corps. Oh, this is, we just learned about B Corps. Oh, oh good. Yeah. We don't know enough. Well, amazingly, people don't know about them much, but there's a lot of people it's in really, London going, well, we're becoming a B Corp. It's like, really business for good, I'm right? Such a, I'm such an old school capitalist. I'm like, you're yeah, there for your Yeah, it kind of seems like a false. It seems if like a, a marketing shareholders thing. I feel like fall. a lot of the time people are, are kind of like, forcing their square pre- peg into oh, a round hole in order to get the accreditation. How about, how about a big idea? How about just be the best business owner or runner you possibly can and do right by people and don't kill the world? Like, I, like just do that. I don't think... That's I, a t-shirt. I, I, I bet you there's a bunch of B Corp assholes out there that are like, I'm a B Corp and they're taking like their jet everywhere. Non-disclosure agreements. Ugh. Kind of bullshit. Yes, your face said it all. You couldn't back out. I mean, you do it done. anyway. You do them. You do Just them for your case. shareholders. To keep everybody kind of honest. Kind of. It's more like a hey. Just it's, it's, it's almost like saying hey, please don't, please don't share this. Anything you ever knew, I now know. Unlimited vacations. <laughs> it sounds great on the surface as an employee, and then in reality, you just you're like, uh, feel I, I feel bad taking the vacation. Uh, LinkedIn. It's good. It's good, yeah. Business. Yeah. Business. Uh, okay. Bitcoin. Uh, a lot of people are saying bullshit these days. Uh, yeah, Bitcoin, eh, blockchain, I think is very much a piece of the future. Yeah. Um, a, a strong piece of the future. NFTs? Also, also part of the future, part. but not in this current board ape garbage. Uh, Brexit? Um... Bullshit at the time, dumb move at the time, but I think it can Total be. bullshit now. But I think it can be managed around and and actually end up okay in the whole scheme of things. I'm gonna have to. It's not on the list, but Boris Johnson. 
relative to the orange person we had. He's yeah, he's, a particular he's amazing bars. compared to Donald Trump. So that's, that's, that's so not from our perspective, really for like, like yeah. that, with that is a hilarious graph to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like normal people, Trump, he lowers the indices yeah, so yeah. much. To be honest, it's all to do with haircut, I think. Yeah, they were it's so like, similar. how crazy is your hair? That's how crazy you are as Buffoon. a person. Um, thought leadership. God, I hate people who say they're a thought leader. I just, I, I, when I see that on the LinkedIn profile, I'm like, delete. That's so delete. Um, now, this is, uh, this is a hot topic. Gender pronouns. Call yourself what you want to call yourself. Sure. Have, have, be, if, are you a productive and peaceful person? I'm with you. Uh, pivoting. I mean, isn't that just doing something different? I mean, and that is very much a Silicon Valley word. And actually, we get the pivot all the time on us. And we're like, we didn't pivot. We're expanding our market. The end. Like, that's mm. the smart thing to do. But bullshit. We're bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. bullshit. And I might change the last one to moat. Moat. All right. <laughs> do, you, do you feel moats? Uh, yeah. Competitive yeah. advantages Competitive advantages is good. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. There we have it. You did very well. It's the um, about you know, 227 points. Okay, so Lindsay and Brian, this is where we give you, and I don't know who wants to do it, 30 seconds to pitch your company. If you're looking to create video, Stringer starts at the source. We help you source video from 120,000 videographers who answer the call within minutes. You can also source video from your team and then go on to create video in every step of the way. We take you through every step of production and distribution on Stringer and now Iconic for Enterprise. Fantastic. And, and, that was uh, a lot less than 30 seconds. It was great. very well described. And uh, if they want to find out more about you, where do they go? Uh, they meet us at the bar. No, uh, kidding. They uh, go to stringer.com. S-T-R-I-N-G-R.com. Oh, yeah. Vowels are hard to buy here in the US. <laughs> they very much are. Okay. So that was this episode of Business Without Bullshit, the New York Sessions. Thank you very much to Lindsay and Brian for joining us. Thanks for having us. Pippa, my co-host. You're going to thank me, no? Yeah, thanks. Thank <laughs> okay. you. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing the thank you. DR producer, specially flown in. Woo. Very good. Um, and we'll be back again soon. Until then, it's ciao. Bye. Bye.